We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings, BMW Championship, early research, early picks, and preview to get you set up for the course and where you want to make your picks this week. This is the last week of full-blown golf content on the Pat Mayo Experience, I guess until the Ryder Cup, because we're going to blow that one out, because that's going to be a lot of fun. We've been talking about it for three months, so we might as well do some super shows on it when the Ryder Cup ends up coming around. But there's no research show next week, there's no drafting show next week for the Tour Championship, because frankly... Tournament kind of sucks from a DraftKings perspective. Jeff and I will still have our regular show on Monday for the Tour Championship. That'll be it. We'll be in full-fledged football mode as of right now. If you're listening to the audio podcast of this, we'll have the football news and notes from week one of the preseason on the back end of this. So, you know, enjoy that coming through. But... I want to remind you to smash the like to the episode, sub to Mayo Media Network, sub to the newsletter, join fantasynational.com slash mayo for 20% off, and the week one DraftKings Listeners League for NFL is now open. That link is down in the description right now. There is no more Listeners League for golf, maybe Ryder Cup once again, but for golf tournaments this year, that's out the window. We're past the point of no return on that, so thank you all for playing this year. I hope you always enjoy the rake-free contests that come around. We'll be back in January with a fresh set of rake-free PME Listeners Leagues for golf. Hopefully you had a good year. Hopefully Tommy Fleetwood can come through on the final day in Memphis. That would be really nice. Don't expect that to happen because it's Tommy fucking Fleetwood, but here we are. Don't want to spend too much time on that. The top 50 players remaining in the FedEx Cup standings, are going to advance to Olympia Field's north course. There's no cut at this tournament, so yeah, you're just going to have to pick the guys to finish the top of the leaderboard, and boom! You're going to be on your way because there's not going to be a ton of birdies. I don't have a flyover this week, but what I do have, thanks to our friends at thefriedegg.com, everyone should be subscribed to their newsletter, their website, everything like that, but they have what we see here as the... You know, hole by hole, and you can get a sense for Olympia Fields. It's 7,366 yards as a par 70. Bent grass with POA in it, or you call it like, you know, POA overtures or whatever the hell it is. It is, you know, it's a pretty fantastic course. I loved this course. 
last time around. Uh, there's eight holes with water in play, and you get a sense of why this course is going to play so hard, and it did play so hard. John Rahm won at four under in a playoff over Dustin Johnson in 2020 when it was held here. I don't think any of us expected it to play U.S. Open style, which it did. Uh, the birdies are made at the beginning if you're going to make birdies at all. Three of the first four holes are some of the easiest on the course, and it opens, obviously, with this par five, you know, 626 yards. Like, you get the sense of why this course is going to play so tough. We'll see what the rough thickness is going to be. Last time, it was basically impossible. Uh, but you see you know, bunkers everywhere, 91 of them on the course, and the trees. They're just everywhere. The rough is so thick. It's not a lot of, like, double bogeys that are happening, but I believe that when we look at the scorecard from 2020, I think there's seven holes that have an average bogey rate over 20%, which is kind of nuts to think about. Uh, and the second easiest hole was a 171-yard par three. And then the second par five was the third easiest hole on the course. Number one is, like, where you're going to make your eagles if you're going to make them. Uh, but you can just see, like, just it it's all in front of you. And the fairways are immaculate and like the fairway percentage, green and regulation percentage is way down here. And you did need a lot of driving distance to go with accuracy uh, in order to do it well. And I, the, all the write-ups on the holes are on uh, the friedag.com. But like, you have to look at this nonsense. Imagine you playing this. This would be outrageous. Uh, just walking through just the outlook of some of these holes uh, and like the positioning of the bunkers. There's a lot of elevation changes at this course. Uh, and if you don't make your birdies early you're kind of screwed for the round unless you get exceptionally lucky when we take a look at the strokes gained from 2020 you'll see it's just a lot of ball striking driving irons driving especially and then you have your outliers who you know, chipped in a bunch or made all their putts like that's you know, not really predictive going forward when we're taking a look at it uh but yeah it's a fantastic course i would be far more interested in the fedex cup playoffs if they played at more courses like olympia fields that are going to give guys a real test like maybe you know in week one memphis is a great spot i like tpc southwind a lot uh and it can be a very generous course it's a course where you can blow up uh so it's kind of you know a boom or bust type feel you know this is just going to be a hard test i wish east lake was a little bit harder but Having the second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs for the BMW Championship be at a course that is extremely difficult, I really like. I think that's a nice touch to it. Um, yeah, we're. I just did, uh, at the, in full disclosure, at the end of the month, uh, we're going to play like our own personal Ryder Cup. I know a lot of friend groups go and do this, uh, but uh, we're at a severe disadvantage this year as we lost by far the best guy in the tournament who was uh, on our team, and we got replaced him with now who is the worst guy in the tournament which is never fun you know, you know paternity leave his wife uh, kind of said if you go on this trip we're getting divorced because i might be having a baby while you're gone so he can't come uh and cuss drafted our team so it's not great <laughs> this time around um and uh, i was trying to trying to look at the courses and we're playing uh, one of them is Crowbush. if you if you look it up it's in prince edward island it's one of the better courses in canada but it just reminded me looking at this like there's just bunkers everywhere and it's like oh my god I, I don't know like how we can go through with this but just looking at olympia feels like there's just fuckers everywhere that are gonna screw you if you get in them although the sand is probably better than being in some of this rough that's around just look at the thickness of this stuff it's so thick you can't pull it off oh boy yeah number 14 beautiful course though uh, i'm very excited for them to play it so here's this par five the second one you can see, uh, you can see Tiger Woods. He has no problem with it, but uh, it's uh, 
just demanding uh, the way that they describe it uh, coming through. 16, just a very long downhill par three. Uh, it can play a little bit on the easier side, potentially, depending on where the tees are at. But uh, hopefully this gives you a pretty good sense of what's going on at Olympia Fields this time. Uh, and we'll start taking a look through the scorecard. There's the closing hole. Just you know, you got to be able to hit your draw off the tee. I can't, so that wouldn't be very good for me. Um, but uh, I'm excited. I, I was not excited for week one of the playoffs i'm very excited for round two of the playoffs to get a chance at this course i love watching guys in a real test uh, i think when we're trying to look at the type of players that we want we want to be looking at u.s open players weirdly enough so let's make the jump over to fantasynational.com. It's probably not weirdly enough that U.S. Open players played well here in 2020 because it's kind of a U.S. Open style setup. Taking a look at the scorecard, you take a look at the par threes. Four of them, the average distance is 205 yards. Number eight is incredibly tough, 254 yards this time around. And yeah, let me readjust the screen here a little bit. That's a bit blown up, isn't it? Bleep, bleep. There we go. Fantasynational.com slash Mayo. You'll be good to go. Uh, it carries the highest bogey rate on the course, 32%. And being a 250-yard par three, it's not, uh, not going to be easy for a lot of the field. And that's what I mentioned about the bogey percentage. You got one, two, three, four, five, six that carry a bogey rate over 23%. There's two of them, 18 and number eight over 30%. And then there's just a whole bunch of other ones, 19%, 18%, 18%, 18%, 60%. I said number one, easiest hole on the course. Number two is the fourth easiest hole on the course. Number four is the four, or fifth easiest hole on the course, fourth easiest hole on the course. And they have birdie percentages. Like, I mean, sometimes you see par fives that are, you know, 55% with a 4% eagle rate. Now, like the easy one here is 31% birdie rate. The bogey rate is still almost 10%. The doubler rate is over 1%. So it's not like it's an easy par five, but that is where you're going to make your birdies if you are going to make them. Number four, very difficult. So you try not to give one back. And that's what you're looking for to kind of compile your round. You can get out one, two under through the first four holes. And then you just kind of strap yourself in and hopefully nothing goes wrong. There's 12 par fours on the course, 443 yards is the average distance of them, and some of the longer ones, pretty tough. You have the two shorties, 11 and 12. They're not easy, but they're also not incredibly difficult at the same time. And then you get into some of the longer ones. It's funny that a 413-yard par four is the third hardest hole on the course. That's never great. Just not a lot of birdie opportunities because of the green complex that is there. Then you get these longer ones, and they're all just tough, especially at the very back end. 463, number three, the fourth hardest hole on the course number nine is the sixth hardest hole on the course number 18 always lay always a good course will kind of show this a lot of the times that we like to watch the 18th hole is a 500 yard par four it is the hardest hole on the course you get some swings coming back down the par fives average distance is 616 yards uh two of the three easiest hole on the course Birdie rate north of 26% on each of them, um, and it holds a bogey or worse rate of 18% or lower. That's always nice. Uh, although number 15, you can pile up some bad numbers on 15 if things go awry just a little bit. A 1.1 eagle percentage on number five, or on number one, sorry. Like, if you're going to make an eagle, it's going to be there. But frankly... 
just not probably going to be the case. You're going to make a whole lot of eagles uh, at this course. Uh, again, you know, with a winning score of minus four at a power 70, putting will become less of a factor. So some of those great ball striker, bad putters, unless they, listen, Scotty Scheffler can putt himself out of any tournament. We've seen that in terms of winning the tournament. But that's something that you can look at a little bit harder this week. It seems like a really good Vic course, to be perfectly honest with you, just from the outset looking at it. We can say that for almost any course, but something that, you're going to have to get the ball up and down, but we've seen him be better at major championship venues, even at something like Bay Hill in the years where they grow the rough up. He's been pretty good uh, greenside. I mean, it, I know the year the Scotty Scheffler one, he left one just in front of him that cost him the tournament. But you know, if he can linger around, he has improved in that area. If you're not scoring on par fives, you're absolutely screwed. You take a look at the top five finishers, you know, driving and approach were very even. Uh, that's not something you see very often. You need to have a full tee to green game here. It can lapse a little bit around the green. And these stats are all drawn from 2020. So Hideki came in third, I believe, third or fourth. We take a look at the strokes gain, you'll see it. But I believe he gained six strokes around the green. So he is really contributing to why this number is so high. We scale back a little bit and take a look at the top 10 finishers. I guess it was still up there as well. You know, putting's going to matter, but 0.6 per round is not quite as high as you would see at a lot of courses amongst the top 10 or even the top five where it's going to be like one point something. It's pretty around. You can see Rom when he won, just to kind of see his stats. He did putt really well for the week, but obviously the ball striking was in tune. He actually gained more driving than he did on approach uh, or about equal. So that's not something that you see all that often. Ball striking more important than short game amongst the top five finishers, dominating the power of fives. That goes without saying. Uh, and then you see the whole composition. But here's the big one. Driving accuracy, only 48% at Olympia Fields. Green regulation, 58%. Scrambling percentage, 55%. So way lower than your baseline PGA Tour average. Uh, the rounds, the 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 high the highest distribution, the plurality of rounds uh, were 72. So two over par. You know, 71, or sorry, 72, 73. Uh, 73 was higher than 71. Then you had your 69s, nice, and 70s. Then after that, the biggest distribution was 74 and then 75. So expect a lot of rounds over par. You can bomb the ball at this course. But if you end up in the rough, you're going to be screwed. So keep that in mind. As we're going forward, we'll go back to the main page at Fantasy National right now and take a look i mean we have the entire i believe we have everyone who's in the saint jude right now we only have the top 50 in for the moment but obviously that's going to change um in terms of the projections and everything going forward because guys on sunday are going to make a move some are going to drop back i suppose we could take a look at the updated fedex cup standings not that you know it really matters all that much you're going to know by the time you make your bets and make your picks and everything that's happening on that front so let's see who's just lingering around at the oh no i'll continue without supporting pgatour.com no worries thanks for running my videos let's see yeah mac hughes is just on the outside looking in jagger smalley dietrich taylor montgomery no chance for him beautiful bow like a deck he's got to play himself in he needs to have himself a sunday uh to get there there's a couple guys you know these guys are basically all out of it uh and then on the like periphery you got cam young harris english hollywood hoagie cam davis and Nick Hardy, like Davis needs to hold on to what he's been doing this week in Memphis in order to make it. Essentially, you know, Hoagie, 
Davis and Hardy are all kind of at risk. Then you see like Jaeger needs to continue moving up. He's already gained a lot. But then you have Dietrich, Smalley, and Hughes need to kind of rally back up the board a little bit to gain that that just little bit of FedEx Cup boost. And boom, they can be in it as well. Uh, And Eric Cole looks like he's going to be pretty safe. Poston's played himself up, so they're all pretty good. Hadwin, I suppose, could shoot like 76 and go completely the other way, just based on the amount that he's gained so far this week in terms of positioning. But I would estimate that he's probably pretty safe in that regard. Again, only 50 players in the field, no cut. So let's get to the modeling for what's going to happen this week at well we'll see if it happens this week i believe i have my one saved let's see bmw championship of i mean maybe that's not olympia fields maybe that's only fans i mean they're showing a lot of bush we took a look at the uh, it's a throwback it's a very old course maybe the of is just uh they, they're going vintage on us here don't hit it into the bush that'd be bad uh, off the tee and approach 20 and 30 percent equal you know what i'm gonna dial that back a little bit i'll make them 27 and uh no, I don't want to do that. We're going to go 25 and 25, don't I? 25 and 25. We'll make those two even. Proximity 175 to 200 at 10%. Around the green, 5%. Putting, 5%. Par force 450 to 500 yards, 10%. Proximity range of 200 plus 5%. 150 to 175 is 5%. I put in driving distance at 10% as well. I, although, as we'll see, accuracy does mean a lot. It's going to be very difficult when we see it without any driving distance attached, especially when we look at the historic leaderboard at this course. So let's rig that up, see what we got over the past 50 rounds, and you will see it's probably Scotty Scheffler. Oh, big shocker there. The top three players in the world, one, two, three, over the past 50 rounds. Scheffler, Rory, and Rom. Uh, It's just Rom's around the green and 450 to 500 scoring that's holding him back, although his putting is inside the top 10 over that range, whereas Rory and Scheffler are both uh, just around 40 in the field. It's shocking. You can see how well Scheffler putted earlier on in the year versus what he's done lately when we scale back that far that he's not dead last in the field, which you would think that he would be. Hovland, Shoffley, Cantley, Hatton, Windy C, Tony Finau, Morikawa. That's your top 10. Then you're looking at Fowler, Tommy, Connors. Connors struck the ball immaculately at this course in 2020 and just couldn't chip and couldn't putt. Not a big shocker from Corey Connors that he can't chip and can't putt, but he's been getting better in those areas. Day and Glover are up there as well. That's over the past 50. So let's shrink the size down to past 24 and check that out because it's, listen, when we're down to 50 players and all the best players are playing, there's only so much I can really tell you about like who's good. Yeah. The good players are good. Thanks. Who can we find at the back end? Like Glover? Yes, we know he's we won in Wyndham. He's currently leading in Memphis as we go through this. So he's just going to be popular either way. Although he's probably going to see a, a spike in terms of his ownership. Ben Ann is a little bit different. Ben Ann in this tournament, I believe he finished top 15 in 2020. He's been playing some good golf, very good around the green. This we know uh, the putting is always going to be a disaster, but if you can get away with it, Ben Ann is someone that we could potentially go to if people are just kind of off of him a little bit. Although when they start looking at the numbers, I doubt that's going to be the case. Fifth off the tee, second in driving distance, top 10 around the green. That's a pretty good formula if you want to be good at this course. But no other big names, Lee Hodges and Shank, jump in a little bit. This could be a pretty decent Tom Kim course because of his long iron play. Set up a lot like Morikawa uh, in a weird way where you know they're very good with their long irons. They're very accurate off the tee, but lack the sort of distance that you truly want at this course. But hopefully, 
Um, it can make up for Grio is another one to look at uh, in the circumstance. Uh, you know, the driving distance won't be there, but the accuracy will. Very good with his long irons and starting to putt like a champion. Good for you, Emiliano Grillo. Uh, Nick Hardy is someone we've seen him play well at one U.S. Open, and I don't believe he played well at the other this season. I, I don't even know what he finished in Boston, but he was playing well through like the first few days. Let's see. That's not even close. I should probably look at the keyboard when I type this stuff in. Yeah, U.S. Open. Top 20, top 20, 27th. So Nick Hardy uh, is going to be on the card for me. Just you know, jot that one down when you're looking at players at the very bottom of the field. I just like what his track record is at the U.S. Open. I think that he can handle some of these more difficult courses a little bit better. So that was past 24 rounds. Let's shrink it down to the past 12 rounds and see if we got anything else on the go here. Uh, and we'll take a look at the scorecard and strokes gained and stats from 2020 as well, because I think that's probably the most pertinent thing that we can do. Uh, Glover jumps inside the top three when we shrink it down to past 12. It's still still kind of shocking. He's not number one coming into it. Scheffler, Rory, Glover, Hovland, Ricky are the top five. And this is before any rounds have updated at TPC Southwind. That will happen on Sunday evening. So the numbers will shift once that happens, when you start looking at these different ranges. Rom is still number six. Cantley, Morikawa, Hatton, Tommy. Then Xander Spieth, Svensson is up there a little bit higher. I don't know if he's going to end that. Yeah, he, I mean, he has a win. He should end up qualifying for the BMW Championship. Where the hell is Svensson at? Svensson, yeah, he's 40th. He's fine. He's safe. He's in. He's he's flying to Chicago, so I wouldn't worry about him. Rose, Connors, Poston. We'll take a look at Connors for a second. Tom Kim, Ben Ann is inside the top 25. Strock and Nick Hardy are up there. This theoretically should be a really good Keegan Bradley course. I have no idea how he did in 2020. There's a chance that he didn't even qualify in 2020, uh, which is weird, but you never know with Keegan Bradley. Let's see. Yeah, 2020, he didn't qualify for this event. So interesting. He has won a BMW championship. Like the BMW championship is essentially the Patrick Cantlay Open. Uh, I believe he's won each of the past two years. Yeah, he won last year at minus 14, won the year before at minus 27, when I believe he went on to win the FedEx Cup. Let's see, BMW. Yeah, 2020, 8.1 strokes tee to green for Corey Connors. Yeah, he lost eight strokes putting. So he actually was pretty decent around the greens. It just couldn't make a putt to save his life. Again, that's pretty extreme. And after gaining a bunch of strokes earlier on in the year on the greens, he's reverted back. But the ball striking has been very good. I actually don't know what he's up to this week. Uh <laughs> Over in, I mean, I can take a look at it. Let's see. DraftKings. DraftKings St. Jude in tournament stats. Let's take a look at who is playing well this week. We'll go and reverse Connors. Go into totals overall. He's putting okay, chipping okay. Like nothing great from Corey Connors this week, but pretty good across the board. So maybe this is a better course setup for him. So we got Hardy and Connors. Anne and Griot. Uh, and then, listen, I, I, I'm not going to try to sell you on Rory over Rom or Scheffler over both or Vic or anything like that. Like, at the top of the board, that's going to be what you should be uh, really kind of focusing on uh, and trying to come up with your own picks for that kind of thing, mainly because it's going to be very hard to distinguish. You're going to have to get lucky on that. Hopefully, we can find players at the bottom that you can kind of concentrate on, pile those guys up, and maybe scatter shot at the top of the board if you're playing a lot of lineups. You see Grio just very good everywhere except for off the tee, which is kind of surprising. But at Southwind, you see Hovland's also losing strokes off the tee. It just means water <laughs> uh, at a course like this. It's like when you look at PGA National and you see some of these numbers light up. Imagine if 
Glover putts in round four. Good Lord. 9.7 strokes tee to green. That's over three better than Taylor Moore, who's in second place, which is kind of crazy. I, I worry about Tommy uh, because it's all putting. I mean, it's not all putting. He's doing pretty well ball striking. Chipping is, you know, he's lost one, whatever. But gaining six strokes putting is by far the most of anyone inside the, well, I guess Poston's next, and he's in 16th. So Hadwin is the next closest inside the top 50, and he's just below four. So, you know, Tommy needs to continue the hot putter. It's possible, but I would like to see those ball striking numbers go back to usual Tommy ball striking numbers, and then we can be pretty good to go. Great driving from Homa this week. Chipping and putting, the approach is about neutral Going forward, you see Tom Kim. The driving's been bad, but everything else has been really good. So Tom Kim, we could potentially give a look to. Hadwin is all irons and mainly putting this week to be in T12. Don't love him going forward next week. Who's been the worst putter? I assume it's Scotty because now it's Finau. Finau, Strzokin, Norman, Denny. Wow! Denny, minus 4.3. Did not see that one coming. These are the guys that, this is through three rounds. These guys need to rally. Hatton's ball, like Hatton will be a nice flop lag, I think. I bet on him to win this week. Uh, he's not winning this week, but the putting and chipping has been absolutely atrocious. But as you can see, the ball striking actually hasn't been all that bad. Ditto with Chris Kirk. Chris Kirk, the ball striking has been very good. Uh, the putting has been abject failure for him. Uh, Scotty's irons actually haven't been all that good. It's been all driving for him this week. But either way, uh, you always kind of want to rely on the players who are historically good putters. Uh, you can see, like, you know, Denny's getting on approach, but that's it to go along with his poor putting. At least Hatton and Kirk are driving the ball well, hitting their approaches really well, but just can't ship or putt. That I'm less concerned about going forward because I usually do rely on those guys to chip and to putt because that's what their baseline is usually going to do. Sungjae and Rory can't get it going on the greens at all. So if we just take a look at overall ball striking, which we weighted the most in our modeling, Rory Glover more Beautiful. Bo Hostler. Is Hostler getting in? He was right on the periphery, wasn't he? He's just outside right now. So what does he need to make up? Hostler would have to make up. He's currently T16. If he gets himself inside the top 10, maybe he has a chance to get there. We'll see, though. I don't, know, I don't even know if I love him next week or not, but he'd be an interesting name at the very bottom of that pile that we could look at. Hodges... Yeah, I mean, if Hodges could chip, he would be fine. He's in T32 and lost almost five strokes around the green. That ain't good, Lee. Is, is he really? I mean, I, I, I would love to tell you I could rattle off all Lee Hodges' stats just off the top of my head, but that's probably not going to be the case. He's usually pretty good around the greens, at least since he's kind of turned his season around. He's played some well in some elevated events. I mean, Scottish was basically elevated, played well there. Memorial was elevated, played well there, came inside the top 15. Okay, so maybe Lee Hodges is another name to throw in with Hardy and Connors and Ann and Grio. Uh, and maybe Bo Hossler, if he can kind of get it going. Finau might be a... Nah, the driving okay, iron's good. Man, dude, what, what happened to Tony's putting? It's funny when you see him in the wins and he gains all those strokes putting. And he had been gaining strokes coming in. Uh, but he's back down in this territory that he had from Mexico when he won, gaining five, and then just started dropping. A lot. He's, he's losing 1.3 per tournament over his past five. And he's gained in, in his past two weighted events, at least. And so not, not great there, Tony. Uh, what else do we got cooking here? What is Cam Davis doing well? A bit of everything really well. Take a look at Cam Davis. This should be a spot where he is okay. Did he play in? No, he didn't qualify for the 2020 BMW. 
But he's played well in you know, elevated events, Pete Dye courses. We're back on Bentgrass. That's usually kind of his jam. He's riding some good form coming in. I, I would expect him to be popular because of that, but you know, that doesn't really make that big of a difference this week. Um, with only 50 players in the field, you're going to need, even if they're chalky, you're going to need guys that are doing well. It's about finding guys that are potentially lower owned, or at least at the bottom and getting the top right. So maybe Cam Davis is another one. So there's some decent ones that we can look through and try to find but that's where i would be kind of fun man rom's putting in the bmw championship has been absolutely immaculate over the past six years uh we'll take a look at the 2020 leaderboard before we get out of here to try to you know listen i mean guys who play on live uh good runs here with dustin and neiman and coke rack and munoz uh they're all kind of up there good mac hughes isn't gonna make it but good for him there's benny ann he came in 12th at this tournament so accuracy can play a lot as we see we have rom dj hideki finau inside the top five along with neiman uh, as i mentioned before hideki was mainly chipping yeah, 6.1 strokes gained chipping that week yeah, pretty good off the tee and then just a you know, pretty mediocre average approach and putting Rom just did it across the board. Dustin was amazing off the tee. He was amazing on approach. He could putt, but I guess his his lack of short game really got to him in the end. Uh, and then you see some other sort of outliers here, like Finau did a bit of everything, but did putt a ton. Brennan Todd gained almost seven strokes putting. That's going to help you when the winning score is minus four and you need to be around even. That's why he ended up coming T8. Mac Hughes, you know, a lot of chipping, a lot of putting from him. Ditto with Patrick Cantley, a lot of chipping, a lot of putting. Brian Harmon was all putting that week. So when you see that sort of outlier, you can take those names out. At least that's how I would try to judge it. Be like, okay, can we bank on this guy gaining six strokes putting? I mean, no, no, we can't bank on anyone ever getting that many strokes putting. So if they're not doing the other things well, then we kind of have to throw them out a little bit. Tita Green, you know, Neiman, Hideki, Dustin, Connors, Munoz. Those were your Tita Green leaders. And Connors, you can see, came 33 because he lost eight strokes putting. Rom, Benan, Kokrak, you know, these are all big hitters. Uh, even at the time, I think that Hideki, when we take a look at the distance versus accuracy, we'll take a look at driving distance for the week. It was Bryson. He was awful. Champ, he was awful. Other than that, you got Rory, Dustin, Finau, Rom, 1, 2, 5, and 12 on the leaderboard. Casey was 16th. Berger, hey, Daniel Berger, good for him. And Justin Thomas. And then Hideki, so T25, T25, third. Neiman was in the top 20% of driving distance. So he was third. So was Kokrak. He was sixth. Cantlay was up there as well. If we kind of do reverse order on driving distance and take a look at it, you just see the guys at the bottom of the field, except for Fitzpatrick. He came in sixth. Hatton, he came in 16th. Both those guys have increased their driving distance since that time. So that's, I think, somewhat notable to look at in terms of fairways. If just hitting fairways didn't do you a ton until you get down. You don't want to be bad in missing the fairways, obviously, uh, but just being around, you know, top 50% of the field is probably good enough in terms of accuracy, unless you're having a really good week out of the rough and in terms of scrambling. So let's go back to strokes gain for a second, try to see some outliers on the green, minus 10.7, Jesus Leishman. Now, I guess it wasn't good to every single live guy. Todd, Harmon, Finau, CH3, Bryson, Rom, Answer, Cantlay, DJ, Matthews, Paul Casey, good for him. And now we're in like the Dustin game three, three for Hughes, three for Casey. 
I'll try to find this middle ground here to see who is okay, and maybe that they, they can improve. I mean, Hideki might not even qualify. Thomas didn't qualify. Noren didn't qualify. Just a bunch of guys who didn't qualify. Xander could be setting up to be pretty good here. Nice to see Morikawa lost off the tee that week. Didn't have a great week at all. Still came T20, but did gain on the greens. And I think that's what we're seeing from Morikawa a little bit recently as well. Yeah, the putter actually hasn't been that big of a problem. He should be more competitive uh, in these tournaments. I don't know exactly what's going on with him. Let's take a look at Morikawa. Uh, he's losing slightly on the greens this week, but the tee to green, per usual, very, very good. This is what we're looking for. Can't wait to lose more money on Colin Morikawa this week. It's what I do every week. It's a lot of fun. I, I still have a while before I'm at the, you know, where I'm down money lifetime on Morikawa. It's going to take like another 10 years of betting him, but it'd be nice to hit one every now and then. I think I just want to see it before the Ryder Cup. You know, I know he's on the team. I don't think that he's in any danger, but it'd be nice to... See something coming in. Scheffler was bad on the greens anyway. Tiger was bad on the greens that week. Homa was bad on the greens that week. We'll try to see if anyone kind of stands out. Scheffler, T to green was fine. Or at least ball striking was fine. Uh, that's you know, per usual for him. Who else we have? Hatton was great T to green, actually. 4.6 strokes T to green, a lost on the greens. Ditto with Ben Ann, gained 5.4. So Ben Ann is really setting up to be a very good play here. Nogi was just terrible in this tournament. Uh, Rory lost a bit on the green. So that's kind of it uh, for what we're looking at uh, at the BMW Championship. I hope that was helpful. It's a bit different because we don't know the field. It's a shrunken field. There's only so many different permutations that we can make for lineups and picks this week. But I hope I was able to identify some of the guys at the lower end that you can target to be a part of your core and then try to get lucky up at the top. I'm still trying to get lucky with Tommy. It's been like 10 years to try to get lucky with Tommy. But maybe this is the time. Homa's probably going to end up winning. And I'll be like, oh yeah, sure. Max should have played Max Homa. That would have made more sense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Preseason week one news notes happenings plus some updated rankings you can find all of the rankings down in the description for each position all of the top 150 rankings released tuesday doing a show with jake seeley on that as well plus me custom jeff ranking the quarterbacks not for fantasy just overall coming on thursday so football content back in full force for you on mayo media network so subscribe to Mayo Media Network. That's pretty simple stuff, right? It's completely free to do. Same as the newsletter that will get you up-to-date information down in the description. Smash the like while you're here as well. And you can always use runthesims.com to make your season-long projections per player completely customizable. And here's the catch. 
completely free to use as well. Just go create an account at runthesims.com. Get those projected out for you in the way that you see things going on. Now, you want the DFS embedding package and simulations for the year. Plus, we have one new tool to rule them all coming very, very soon. It has to do with simulations. Once again, we already run 10,000 simulations in under five seconds for each player. So if you want your player props, your DFS lineups, whatever it might be, that's easy. We might have some DFS tournament simulations coming as well. So it's probably something you're going to want to do. Runthesims.com code Mayo will get you 10% off the package for 2023. Highly recommend that you do that now. Let's try to rapid fire through some of these guys. We're going to start off with Devontae Adams. You can see the week one stuff. For him up here right now at runthesims.com. So we have a few different notes on Devontae Adams at the moment. He left practice Friday. They're saying it's not too serious. Renfro and Myers are going to be the two slot guys, presumably, on Vegas at the moment. The funny part is, like, when you take a look at the guys who are either playing on the outside opposite Adams or who would replace him, it is like the character actor group of the NFL at receiver, the that guys at receiver. You got Alanis Dorsett, Keelan Cole Sonor, Cam The Sims, DeAndre Carter. Like everyone has picked up one of these guys or played them at the min on DraftKings over the years uh, just to try to fill out a lineup. And I almost guarantee you they disappointed you, which is you know, not great to see. Uh, so for week one, this is all week one stuff right now. You can see that uh, Vegas is playing Denver. Uh, the DraftKings salary for Devontae Adams $7,900, which I think is a very nice price. Uh, but if he didn't play, you could see how you'd have to reallocate some of these target numbers. Maybe it's Austin Hooper or Michael Meyer who ends up you know, boosting up the board. Maybe Trey Tucker gets a bit more of a look, but that's really tough. And for the record, I don't think that Jimmy G is going to be like a terrible fantasy play this season just because I think the Raiders are going to be really bad and having to throw the entire time. Uh, although this is probably not a great matchup against Denver, although they are four and a half point dogs in week one that Denver's defense, I believe, should be pretty good. Some more Raiders news. They signed Damian Williams this week with Josh Jacobs still holding out. Darwin Thompson. Remember Darwin Thompson? Hot fantasy sleeper of two, three years ago, whenever it was, Darwin Thompson? Well, he's meeting with them as well. So that leads me to believe two things. One, they're trying to put pressure on Josh Jacobs to come back and sign his deal to make sure that he's ready for week one. Maybe he does have the holdout week one, then returns for week two, because dude doesn't want to be giving up that money, because the money's not out there for Josh Jacobs. So eventually he's going to have to come back and play. But this is putting a little pressure on him, potentially, or it's kind of an indictment on Zamir White, that they don't think that he's all that good, and they want to bring guys in. So let's say Jacobs isn't there. Week one, we'll head on over to run the Sims. It's just, you know, it's a, just a little exercise that we can do. We're going to put him in for 0%. Uh, that's the letter O. We probably don't want to do that. So we'll put him in for 0% of everything. Say he doesn't play. Uh, and we actually don't have the system updated yet for uh, Damian Williams being on the team. But let's just pretend in this situation that Jacob Johnson is Damian Williams. Uh, who do you think would actually be the primary ball hander? Now, it's probably Zamir White. Uh, he has the most experience on this team. Let's throw him for 45% of the market share of rushes. So you can see we still have 25% to allocate around. So let's give those to Johnson, who is actually Damian Williams in this circumstance. And we have 57% of touchdown market share to go along. Well, we already have Bolden at 21%, Brandon Bolden, that is. So we're going to keep him there. We'll put Zamir White up to 45% again. And we still have the 20% to go around. I think that if Damian Williams, now that he's signed on this team, you know, guy's good, or at least he was good. I have no idea if he's still good. 
at this point, but we'll try to put him in. He might end up being like a pretty decent sleeper because you know that he's yeah, 26 is wrong. 18 is the number that I'm looking for, I believe. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and I think that you're going to see you know, less of Zamir White in the passing game. Although if we put his market share of targets at where we have 10% to reallocate, we'll put him at two. We'll bump up Bolden to three. Uh, Amir Abdullah would probably see a bit more run in that circumstance. Maybe it's Abdullah is the one that would really pop up. So you can kind of say they'd kind of go with like a three, four headed backfield here and just kind of distribute everything around in terms of receptions, goal line touches, whatever it might be. We'll bump him up to six and bump him up to seven and just kind of we'll run the Sims on this right now and see where these guys end up coming out. This is how quickly everything can work. This is running 10,000 simulations of every single game. Boom. Austin Eckler, best play on the slate for week one. Uh, but this is for all the games. I don't have it just in as the main slate. Uh, we'll see the projections per week as well. And we'll go to running back. And what do we want to take a look at? Johnson, Jacob Johnson. So Damian Williams would be around 7.2 fantasy points, six carries, 24 yards, 0.1 of a touchdown, two catches for 13 yards. And that's, you know, if he gets himself involved and we'll know more about that, I think, or at least we can try to read the tea leaves from what we see throughout the course of the preseason to see how integrated he gets into that offense. Now, maybe it is all Zamir White. I'm completely wrong. Or maybe it's more Amir Abdullah in the passing game. But just because Josh Jacobs isn't there, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that potentially Damian Williams could be the primary ball hander. And even if he's not, even if he just minimally plays, that Zamir White not, might not be in the sort of smash spot that you think that he would be in week one. Again, once we see the ones run for Vegas and Zamir White is on for every single snap, I will change my tune on that. But this is the way that I think that it's going to go at the moment. So Adams is going to be fine and pay attention to that Raiders backfield because there might not be the bounty that you think that there is going to be because A, they're bad. Be their underdogs, especially in week one, which is the game that, if anything, now Jacobs probably doesn't miss week one, but if he does, this is the hypothetical that we're looking at here, that it could be a situation where they're throwing a ton. Maybe Amir Abdullah is going to be the play. I would guess that Damian Williams would kind of fill in that spot. Like, why else bring him in? He can kind of be someone who carries the ball and catches the ball, where Amir Abdullah is mainly just a pass catcher and special teams player at this point. So if you're not going to pile up 25 carries on the ground, I think that limits what Zamir White might be able to do, especially if they can use someone like Brandon Bolden inside the red zone, which is a distinct possibility at this point. Now, if Jacobs is there, it's all Jacobs all the time. Wouldn't worry about him. Joe Burrow is up next. Uh, obviously, he has the calf strain. I expect him to play in week one. He threw on Friday. I think he's going to be fine. So I have no real reservations about Joe Burrow. I talked to Dr. Morse last week about his injury, where it is soft tissue and it is a calf strain. He is at the point of a potential reoccurring injury. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but he might miss time somewhere along the line. So I did drop him down to, I believe, quarterback number five or six in my rankings. I had him at number three in terms of fantasy, but I think I bumped him down below Justin Fields, who I think I have at number five. I think it's Mahomes, Allen, Hurts, someone, Fields? I don't know. Go look at the rankings. I don't have them. I probably should have put them up in front of me, but you can find the link down in the description. Kenny Gainwell, could he be the early down back in Philadelphia this season? 
Probably not. Uh, it's probably just a way to make sure that you keep... When you have the walking triage unit of Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift technically in front of you, I just think it's going to be a three-headed backfield. I don't know how you're going to derive that much value from any of these guys, but they really like Kenneth Gainwell. He's their two-minute drill guy, so that's always valuable. I don't know how much goal line work that he's going to get. I actually think the Rashad Penny is still the best play in this backfield. Maybe he can stay healthy, and even if he doesn't, he didn't cost you that much of a draft pick anyway. He's the most explosive runner of the bunch. Uh, and I think that he'll see the majority of the work on the ground. Majority is probably a bit much. The plurality of the work on the ground, which might be good enough because of his big play potential. Also, uh, athletic reports saying that Trey Sherman, Sermon, sorry, Trey Sermon, another hot fantasy sleeper from the 49ers last year or the year before. Uh, it looks like he's potentially going to beat up Boston Scott for a roster spot. I'm assuming they cut him for the games they play against the Giants just to bring Boston Scott back so he can score his obligatory touchdown, but Boston Scott on the roster bubble right now, according to theathletic.com. Kareem Hunt is in Minnesota for a meeting. By the time you watch this, maybe he's signed, maybe he's taking a plane out of there. Delvin Cook did not end up with the Jets, so a good I mean, as of right now, uh, good news for Brees Hall and his prospects going forward. It still doesn't mean he won't sign at this point. Uh, so Kareem Hunt would throw a bit of a monkey wrench into what people hope for Alexander Madison. Additionally, if it's not Kareem Hunt, Ty Chandler has been being hyped by Kevin O'Connell uh, after Thursday's game. So you can put him on the handcuff watch if Kareem Hunt doesn't end up in Minnesota. I do think that you're looking at a potential workhorse role if Kareem Hunt isn't there for Alexander Madison, but there's a chance that he's just not all that good. So maybe they do work in Ty Chandler a little bit more. Like, would you rather draft? I'm trying to look at, I don't have the DK best balls in front of me, but when I've been doing DK best ball drafts, that he's been going in like you know the 40s to 60s range, even in season long, which is not a hefty price to pay, especially if you go wide receiver heavy at the beginning because the potential upside is there because he could be the workhorse. But if he sucks and you don't have him, maybe you want to take Ty Chandler late if Hunt doesn't end up going there because maybe he's good or just as good and they just turn to him instead. The Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet debate continues to rage. Charbonnet came back, looked pretty good in terms of health. Kenneth Walker uh, is going to be returning soon, so it doesn't seem like these injuries are piling up too much, that they're both going to be fine for week one, so no need to, you know, be wary of these guys. Although, groins can be reoccurring injuries. Uh, running backs get hurt all the time, so as long as they're healthy for week one, you probably have to roll with them, so I wouldn't worry too much about them. Rams news, and we'll head back over to Run the Sims for a second with this one. Uh, if you go to DFS Tools, NFL Project and Builder, these are the free tools that you can build for the year. We'll go to the Rams right now. Boom. Uh, we can take a look at this. Uh, Kieran Williams. Um, it, it, not the first time I've heard this one. He's getting talk at a Rams camp. Uh, I went down that road last year. It was not good. Uh, you can see Cam Akers for the season. We have projected 56% of the market share of rushes with Williams at 13, Zach Evans at 8, Royce Freeman at 5, and just some other jabronis. Like we have Cooper Cup and Tutu Atwell at 3% of the rushes apiece, Ronnie Rivers at 1. As long as Akers is up above that 56% number and even into the 60s, he's going to be a fine fantasy play. But if Williams can eat into that, if they just turn on Cam Akers once again, then maybe we have a little bit of a situation. Sorry, I had to move the screen over there for you. But this is the interesting part. We have Puka. Oh, man. I, until this guy actually plays and I hear what his name is, like, actually pronounced. I'm just going to go with Naka. Let's just call him Puka. Old Puka. 
is here. We have him at, let's see, what, 3.1% market share. He's just been getting a lot of buzz. And there is most definitely room on this roster for targets to go to you. So with his 3.1%, that puts him at wide receiver 131 for the year in terms of projections. But let's just say he's better than Tutu Atwell. That wouldn't be a big surprise to anyone now, would it? So let's just put Tutu Atwell down at 5. Uh, maybe Van Jefferson just continues to be the guy that he's always been. We'll put him at 8. We'll put uh, Ben Skoranek down to 7. And what are we looking at? We have 12% to fill in. Let's just say he ends up being the wide receiver too on this team. All of a sudden, it's not great by any means because we haven't adjusted his touchdown market share, which would obviously go up if you gave him 15% of the market share of targets. But that instantly, just that bump up in market share puts him at wide receiver 65 for the year. Like the Rams aren't good. Uh, Stafford appears to be healthy at the moment. Not every pass can go to Cooper Cup. Now, a lot of them are going to go between Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby, who I think is one of my favorite tight end targets in the draft right now. I haven't projected it tight end number nine in my rankings. He's tight end number nine. So I do like him a lot, especially in both PPR and half point PPR formats. Even to take a look at his distribution, we scroll over a little bit. You can see when you make your projections, you get your three different types of scoring Higby would be 171 fantasy points in PPR 136 and half point only a hundred in standard league so a far more valuable PPR half point especially a PPR player rather than a standard league player just because you don't expect the Rams to have that many touchdowns they use Cooper Cup so much in the red zone or potentially try to run it that there's just not that much for Higby to go around but on a week week consistency basis i see no real difference between him and pat fryermuth in fact i like higby better than fryermuth on a consistency basis fryermuth might just be better become a bigger part of the offense and score way more touchdowns thus making him the better fantasy player that that's on the table you're not going to be listen if you can be like 40 percent somewhat correct with your projections on these guys but i do think it's a coin flip between the two of them and that's just simply not how they're being drafted right now so be a value hunter and take tyler higby in that circumstance news out of the browns camp jordan wilkins signed with the browns so when he gets a carry in week 13 after you've forgotten the news that he signed with the browns either chubb goes down or you like tweaks his ankle and needs to get his foot retaped and then all of a sudden jordan wilkins gets a carry you're like the browns i thought jordan wilkins was retired dude pops up every single year and you're like totally forgot he was in the league so he's on the browns so keep that in mind uh jacob phillips has dealt with a ton of injuries the linebacker on the browns through the first two years of being in the league and uh, there's going to be no year three for him he tore his pack he is out for the season Talk a few more standouts this time around from the weekend. Just kind of different things that we saw. Tank Dell, Houston. Uh, he did start over John Mechie. Uh, he's already moved up 15 spots in DK best ball because of his performance. Now, Robert Woods didn't play in that game. So it's likely that he's not going to be a starter. But they, they seem to like him. They th- seem to think that he's a big play guy down the field. And someone, especially in Dynasty Leagues, that if Tank Dell can mature with CJ Stroud, who did not look good, at all that if he's still going to be the quarterback there for the next presumably three to five years that maybe tank Dell is someone that can grow with him so a decent target in your redraft league you probably don't have to worry too much about him unless he continues to have a great preseason continues to get used but he's been kind of the talk of houston camp so far so it wouldn't be completely shocking to see him have somewhat of a viable fantasy role so far this season sam howell Looked pretty good. And the big thing is, and Jake mentioned this on the breakout show two weeks ago on Mayo Media Network. Again, sub to the podcast, sub to the channel. You can find all of this stuff that is up there 
already. Jake back on Tuesday to do the top 150 rankings. Don't forget that. Uh, I had my quarterback 18 in terms of the rankings, which is behind that you know, veteran tier like Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Stafford, all those guys. He's just behind that because I do think he's going to run. Jake kind of nailed that one. That's what we saw in the preseason. He had a nice connection with Jahan Dotson for a touchdown, and he was using his legs a bunch. Even if you suck at quarterback, but you can use your legs, you're you're viable in fantasy football. Now, at the highest end, if you're Sam Howe, but maybe he just is better in year two, or maybe we barely saw him in year one. So maybe in year two, this is something that he can do a little bit better. So a decent sleeper target at quarterback, Sam Howell to quarterback league, super flex league. That's what you're looking at with Sam Howell right now. Anthony Richardson didn't run much in his debut, but he was seven for 12. Alec Pierce dropped a pass. that probably should have been a touchdown for him. Seven for 12 with a pick and 67. 67 yards if he starts week one which i think that he's going to do i'm quarterback number nine for the year like he is an active target of mine in fantasy football because he is justin fields jalen hurts these type of guys that i mean jalen hurts is sort of an anomaly now because he had such a good year last year passing to go along with rushing the touchdowns and rushing on the ground that he was just amazing fields like sucked last year and was amazing at fantasy football richardson could be exactly the same thing but at way less of the cost as justin fields his number's gonna go up as the preseason goes along i don't want to say that there's nothing too high to take him but if you can get him and you probably don't even need to spend a ninth round pick on him. Like, but around pick 100 is where, like, I want to get him. So that's where I'm going to start taking him. Uh, and I'll pass on everyone else up the board. So that's what I'm looking at with Anthony Richardson. Lamar is the other guy that I was thinking of in my quarterback rankings. Again, just hit the description, find the rankings. But these guys actually wrote down what the ranking was next to their name. James Cook played pretty well for four touches, 20 yards, and a touchdown for him for the Bills. Uh, it's really difficult to go with the Bills. And we'll take a look at this in terms of the projection season long. Uh, I am a a running back number 19 right now, and that's lower than what my projections have on him right now. We can see James Cook, running back number 13 on the year, and that's only with 40% of the touches out of that backfield. 27% go to Josh Allen, 23% go to Damian Harris, 10% go to Latavius Murray, and that's only with a touchdown share of 28%, a market share of receiving at 9%. So, I mean, if James Cook even finds himself on the field for 65% of the snaps this year, he's going to be amazing. And he's not being drafted that way. So he's a potential running back one at running back, geez, two, three, back end two prices right now. So that's what I'd be looking for with James Cook. And we jump over to the Miami side of the ball. We saw Devon A-Chain look pretty good. Now, the other guys weren't playing. So when you get all of the touches, that's going to look pretty good on you. But we do have him projected as the highest amount of touches out of the backfield. He And the biggest thing from week one, which I saw... You know, four catches on four targets. If he's going to be used in the receiving game, he's going to be viable. He's going to be probably the best Miami back. Uh, and just being in on third downs, two-minute drills, is going to keep him on the field. He's projected as running back 37. But there is substantial upside there. You know, 10 carries, 25 yards. So they're not afraid to give him the ball on the ground, even though he was somewhat ineffective running the ball in the preseason. But four catches, that is the big one that I'm looking for. A few other notes. Uh, Baker played way better than Trask. And I do think that Mike Evans is a sneaky good fantasy pick this year. No one wants Mike Evans, but if Baker's just going to chuck it up, Mike Evans is a fine enough recipient. It's not that I don't like Godwin. I like Godwin better than Evans, but Godwin is still being drafted as if he is good, which he is. Evans is being drafted like he sucks 
at this point. And, you know, maybe he is washed. Maybe that's the case. I don't happen to think that's going to be the circumstance right now. Uh, Justin Fields, three three completions for 129 yards and two touchdowns. I am at QB six for the season mainly due to rushing. And maybe this opens it up a little bit. I don't want to take anything away from the two touchdowns, but none of those passes were past the line of scrimmage. I don't think that DJ Moore and Khalil Herbert screen passes are just going to arbitrarily go for 80 yards every single week. Now the screen pass game for the bears should be more effective because of the threat that Justin Fields presents on the ground. I concede that point. That just seems like a big out. I wouldn't get too hyped from just for Justin Fields passing based on those numbers, because put into context, didn't really do anything. All right. Uh, he's going to be a great fantasy player. I still do not believe in the bears. Their offense should be slightly better, but not massively better. Like DJ Moore can only do so much. Right. And Fields still takes way too many fat sacks. Fix that. Maybe all of a sudden it's a different story, but until he's actually throwing like lasers on point down the field, like 35 yards, 40 yards, 20 yards, not dump passes at minus four yards then it's a different story. But that's not what we're seeing through one season, preseason games. So don't let the box score fool you on that one. Last one, Zach Wilson showing out in the Jets' blowout win. Probably impressing those XFL scouts who were looking at him this year. But uh, he's the backup, so I wouldn't worry too much about him. RunTheSims.com, free projections. RunTheSims.com, code MAYO. Get you 10% off all the simulations, all the betting tools, and it's all tools. It's not content. It's just tools that you can customize and run simulations. If you're serious about winning, I mean, I cleared 20K last year, and I usually lose at football. And it was the first year I, I mean, I used Run the Sims two years ago. I won around like three grand, which I thought was awesome. I won over 20 grand last year at Run the Sims using the tools provided to me. Uh, I wouldn't expect myself to win that much again. I had some good runs, some good breaks, but if I can make myself a positive player, uh, Run the Sims Code Mayo is where you need to be because you can probably do the same thing too and more tools coming before week one starts, especially for the very serious daily fantasy player. But you don't need to be super serious. If you just want to bet props, it is an amazing tool. So I suggest that you go check it out. Subscribe, rate and review, five stars to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast and subscribe to Mayo Media Network. All right, thank you all for watching back on Tuesday with Jake Seeley for the top 150 rankings. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!